0: Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host.
1: Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers, Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our Managing Editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence. It's a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. Intelligence looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The 2023 Volume 3 issue is available now. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com slash intelligence. All right, Mr. John, take it away. You're going to talk about private networks, I think.
0: Hey, Leslie. Yeah, um, you know, with all the talk about <clears throat> what's happening in the public networks and <clears throat> the different phases we go through and ramping up expenditures and slowdowns, quietly behind the scenes, we're seeing the growth of private networks. The the Global Mobile Suppliers Association, which goes by GSA, uh, does a a, a regular report on private networks being deployed uh, around the world and in different vertical markets. And um, So its its latest uh, in its latest report, it acknowledged that demand for private networks is being driven by obviously uh, escalating mobile data consumption, but other factors like the need for enhanced network security, uh, the digitalization of operations, uh, and increasingly the uh, um, um, enterprise mobility requirements of modern business and government, basically. Um, you know, the definition of private networks is kind of fuzzy, uh, depending on who you talk to. But in our terms, and what GSA talks about, is that a private network has the following elements. It has dedicated spectrum uh, that's either owned or leased by the um, the uh, operator. Dedicated infrastructure, including RAN and core, that also may be owned or leased. And dedicated devices, meaning the uh, the enterprise may uh, give out devices to its uh its people, or it just may program uh, devices that people already own. <clears throat> and we've covered this in in one issue of intelligence where we talk about private networks, but in the strictest sense, um, you know, what the carriers offer uh, as part of their network, they may allocate uh, to an enterprise or to an organization that is really uh, more of a virtual or quasi-private network where it, it's actually sharing the public network, but with with allocations. And in GSA's parlance, that is not a true definition of a private network. So, um, so when GSA looks at this, that they're they're, they're um, uh, pointing out the fact that um, uh, there are a, a variety of different users that they they refer to as. Um, uh, customer references uh, that's could be an organization or a government entity in in a given country that's using one or uh, that has deployed either 4G LTE or 5G networks, and that its its minimum investment is 100,000 euros or about 106,000 dollars. So, if if an operation meets that criteria, then um, they fall into this. Then the GSA counts them as um, as a private network and. And to date, the um, at least through the end of the second quarter, um, the GSA has counted about uh, 12, 1212 private networks. That's up from 1148 in the at the end of the first quarter of this year, uh, operating in 74 countries around the world uh, that have at least one private wireless network. Um, the um, uh, and about 65% of these customer references are, are non-public or, or unique entities that are identified by the GSA private mobile network special interest group that includes a number of vendors. Um, so, you know, the tallies um, uh, show that <clears throat> there's a high proportion of private network activity in, in segments like military and defense, uh, maritime, uh, meaning uh, like seaports or utilities. Um Certainly manufacturing operations, uh, uh, education, like uh, college campuses, mining is a big one as well. <clears throat> and uh, so the, you know these type of applications seem to be getting more traction in in and ap- have an appeal by the users to to set up private networks. The other thing that GSA pointed out, and I thought this was interesting, is that there's a they identified a strong positive correlation between the number of customer references in countries um, that are setting up private networks where dedicated spectrum is available. And that gets back to our definition of private networks. But where countries, uh, their their spectrum regulators make uh, a spectrum available that can be dedicated to a user, then the chances of uh, private networks kind of uh, rising up seems to, to be better. And, you know, GSA identifies Countries with the the best, um, uh, at least the most uh, developed private networks, are include the U.S., Germany, China, the U.K., and Japan. So, um, although it, it for with China, it, it kind of qualifies that a little bit uh, because there have been numbers such as to suggest that there's something like 10,000 private networks in uh, in Japan. But GSA believes that that's a that a large portion of those are served by the public network uh, uh, infrastructure and in and technically does not meet their definition of a private network, but I thought it was interesting. This is an area that's of interest to us and we see a a growing interest among different vertical industries now that they have capability to access Spectrum and get support from vendors for infrastructure and and the carriers themselves are looking to to boost their involvement in private networks. So we're gonna continue to follow this one too. Thanks,
1: John, that was interesting. So, Last week was a real humdinger at the FCC. Uh, Monday, the new Democratic Commissioner, Anna Gomez, was sworn in. And then Tuesday, Jessica Rosenworcel scheduled uh, her big ticket item, net neutrality. She uh, unveiled an effort to reinstate network neutrality rules. And, you know, she sets the agenda as chair and plans to have it on the October 19th meeting. Um, And this would be a a notice of proposed rulemaking. It would reestablish the FCC's authority under Title II and create a strong, uniform net neutrality standard. She said part of what's going on is there is no federal standard right now to make sure consumers have fair, open access um, and speedy Internet. And... She's uh, she's saying there's a patchwork of state law, something like 12 states have rules in place, but she wants a federal standard. There's some new it, it basically mirrors what uh, the Obama FCC passed in 2015. There is new language that would preserve the FCC's auction authority and also language that would prevent foreign actors from attacking U.S. broadband networks. Um, it will include language preventing ISPs from rate regulation and unbundling. Um, you remember under the, under Ajit Pai, the chairman under former president Trump, all that went away, but the ISPs have pretty much held to, you know, the no throttling, blocking and pay prioritization. They're not doing that. So the people who oppose this are saying it's not needed and the people who, promote it obviously say it is needed um so her announcement uh unleashed a whole lot of comment let's put it that way brendan carr is saying it's not needed um you know he was former general counsel uh he's saying you know rather than pursuing what he called the biden administration's unnecessary and unlawful plan for exerting government control over the internet um, he's pushing, you know, Congress can come up with some neutral language kind of thing. Um, U.S. telecom said basically the same thing, that, co- you know, Congress could step in if it wants to. Um, and Rosa, Rosa Morsel acknowledged that this kind of a debate around net neutrality often yields more heat than light. She emphasized this is a first step. They're going to refresh the comments on uh, this invite more public comment to have an updated record um and you know so we'll, we'll see what happens with this um it's funny because i they briefed reporters on this before it came out and i asked what if there's a federal shutdown you're assuming there's an october 19th meeting and there was a long pause and then they said well We'd have to, if there's a shutdown, we'd have to look at the date for that meeting. But then what came out afterwards was they told their employees and their contractors Thursday, they have money to keep the agency open through that Friday, the 20th, in order. So they intend to hold the meeting on the 19th. So she intends to get this started. And she has the votes. You know, she's got three Democrats now. So it's it'll it'll start a whole lot of stuff. Um, I'm looking for some other comments I had. Oh, let's see. Uh, basically, um, oh, WISPA, the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, VP of Policy, Louis Perez, said they basically agree with Carr that the the rules, Title Two rules, are not needed because it. He said, you know, yes, Title II would allow access to polls, conduits, and right-of-ways for broadband providers, something not automatically granted to ISPs today, but um, its cost and what it means for the future of regulation outweighs the benefit. So then with the opposite opinion, Andrew J. Schwartzman, long public service attorney in Washington area. Right now, he's the Society Senior Counselor for the Benton Institute for Broadband. And he said, you know, as Rosenworcel stressed, applying Title II to broadband internet access service means net neutrality. And that's just one reason to uh, restore the FCC's broadband authority. He said it also empowers the FCC to address a number of other issues that are important to the national and public interest. So this is gonna go on for a while.
0: Um, You asked the tough questions. Oh, sorry,
1: yeah, yes. (laughs) Pardon? You asked
0: the tough questions.
1: (laughs) And the, the, you know, she also, when she announced this, she alluded to how ugly the debate was on this before. You know, somebody called in a bomb threat to the meeting that that Pi was chairing that day, and um, or no, not Pi. I'm sorry, Wheeler was chairing that day. Although later on the same topic, somebody called in a bomb threat. But also, somebody there were protesters outside Tom Wheeler's house that morning, in the in his parking lot, preventing him from getting his car out of his gar You know, his garage. So she was saying let's try and keep the whole debate respectful so let's hope that works the thing about the shutdown i wanted to emphasize was uh the fcc's plan if there is a shutdown which right now it looks like there will be the right the fcc normally has almost 14 well it has 1400 close to 1,500 employees. There's a shutdown, something like 236, yeah, 236 would remain. But I wanna emphasize that if anything big and important happens, they could deal with it. Like if there's a hurricane and they need to get people there to help communications being restored, they can do that. Um, What they can't do is handle routine requests like licensing would be an example. They also can't travel and they can't go to shows. I'm seeing all these agendas right now for shows in October. Mm -mm. If there's a shutdown, don't expect FCC or NTIA people to be there because they won't be able to travel and they can't answer the phone. They can't answer their emails. There's a lot of things they cannot do. That's my deal. So, Mister Sharp, yeah, and that's,
2: that's a, a big deal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, um, this sort of uh, um, kind of uh, I hate to follow that, but uh, um, we uh, we covered we covered Ericsson's announcement this week uh, uh, that they are taking a leadership role in the industrialization of uh, Open RAN. And uh, uh, the uh, press release basically said that uh, uh, they're going to uh, introduce support for Open Front Hall across their Cloud RAN and radio portfolios uh, starting in 2024. Um, And the interesting thing about that is you know, this is, uh, what, we're just going into October. Not exactly sure why this announcement came out today or this week for next year. Um, the uh, uh, There was some uh, question from uh, questions around the industry about uh, Ericsson's commitment to, uh, to open RAN. Um they they debuted uh, 10 rate videos uh at uh in barcelona last spring uh none of them had open ran and uh uh when I talked to uh mobile experts principal joe madden he said you know of course ericsson doesn't want to open up their system they want to sell you the whole system and they're also the number one radio provider in the in the world so uh, so there's, I guess, some skepticism as to how how uh, how much Ericsson really wants to do the open RAN thing. Um, and the uh, uh, the way that that they're parsing the uh, the, the issue out is uh, they've uh, they're saying that they're in favor of uh, disaggregating the uh, uh, the central the central unit and the distributed unit and uh, and the and the uh, and the radio unit. Uh, however, uh, they've got some different ideas as to uh, how much processing power each one should have. Uh, their their radio unit has a uh, has a lot more processing power than uh, uh, than the uh, the standard uh, that has uh, been accepted uh, by the industry. So, um, um, what, uh, in my conversation with, uh, with Madden, he said, they're, they're sort of changing the, uh, the conversation. They're saying, yeah, well, we're, we're all in on it. We're, we're, we're going to be disaggregating everything like that, but they want to play to their strength, which is, uh, which is, uh, providing that uh, that radio unit with that extra processing power and uh, the quote uh, uh, from from Joe is uh, Erickson prefers to do more real-time processing in the radio uh, which would be would be less desirable if uh, they followed the industry standard and had to break the radio up into two pieces and then thus creating a delay between the two um, This way, uh, according to Madden, Ericsson can fulfill the promise to the uh, operators to support Open RAN, but use their muscle to push the Open RAN community into something uh, in an area that they can compete better on. Uh, So it's, uh, uh, I'd say the issue is not yet settled. Um, I've seen Ericsson play uh, in the uh, the standard uh, the standards community before, and uh, they play they play hardball. They don't they don't back down. And uh, uh, what I thought was even more interesting was the very next day after they did that that out of the blue uh, announcement that they're all in on uh, open ran. The next day uh, they, they released it, uh, a press release saying they had signed an MOU with Telefonica uh, for Cloud RAN, uh, Open RAN. So, uh, so yeah, I'd say uh, it, it might be a lot of window dressing, uh, but uh, you, can, you can expect uh, Ericsson to, uh, uh, to push the fact that they're Open RAN uh, when they aren't really uh, they've got their own flavor and, uh, and we'll see how, uh, how the rest of the industry can, uh, uh ends up reacting to that. So, uh, more to, uh, more to the story in the future, but, uh, definitely, uh, definitely some things happening on the open ran front at, at Ericsson. Yeah, that's interesting,
0: Sharp, you know, it's setting a, a stand for a higher power RU, uh, kind of, uh, leaves all the, um, the little guys scrambling to try and meet that. I think, uh, Erickson wants to set the pace, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, a uh, um, it's, I mean, I, another thing that Joe said about, you know, they've got certain algorithms that they've been working on for 30 that they've developed, you know, over 30 years, and they don't want to lose those. And, uh, and I think you know another thing you said, and I'm not sure I totally understand this. Maybe you can help me, John. Is that uh, they said that? Joe said that he thinks Ericsson would be fine to uh, uh, if if they moved into the uh, software side of of Oran and uh, and left the uh, the the hardware side. Uh, so that might be another another. Uh, sort of wrinkle uh, that comes out, but uh, but yeah, it's open. Ran is supposed to be about empowering the little guy, you know, the JMA wirelesses of the world, and uh, and creating uh, additional competition. So um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. But uh, uh, near as I can tell, Ericsson is what they're the largest company in the world as far as radio uh, manufacturers concerned and uh, and they want to do it how they want to do it. So um, we'll see how the rest of the industry uh, reacts. So,
1: Jim, that brings us to you. What do you have to tell us about?
3: Uh, Thank you, Leslie. Um, As rarely happens, uh, we make the occasional mistake. And uh, that was no exception this past week. Um, But what happened was was telling I thought and and made me feel good actually um because we reported on IHS Towers which is a um, international uh tower firm uh, based out of their headquartered out of London but they were founded in Nigeria they're known for having a they're probably one of the largest tower companies in Africa and uh but also have expanded to the Middle East and uh, they are they are an international Course, so we did a little story, of, and it was was not a big story about how they had just added three hundred and fifty towers in Brazil to show you their their, their international coverage. And uh, within twenty four hours, we heard from them uh, saying that I think in our story we cited that they were founded in twenty twenty one when actually they were founded in twenty. 2001, and that we said they had approximately uh, 39,000 towers, and they adjusted that to say, you no, know, it's, it's more like around 40,000 towers. So uh, their their Brazilian um, presence was founded in 2020, and I think that's where it went a little off the rails. So, but two minor corrections, and uh, we we're happy to uh, make those corrections and announce that mea culpa. um here's here's the correct information but what I liked about it was that it showed our international coverage here is one of the largest international tower uh, companies in the world and um, they read inside towers uh, uh, so that's, that's always great to hear that it's and, and we try when we try to cover the tower industry every day. Uh, we we certainly do not neglect uh, our friends overseas and the international community. And we're glad that is evident um, by the fact that there was this mistake and they let us know about it. But at the same time, um, they also let us know that they they read Inside Towers and, and we're grateful that they do. We're glad that they do. And we're uh, as responsive to them as we are to any one of our readers who... Uh, might see a story and, and see something that looks off. Please contact us. We're happy to respond to it, uh, whether you are in Africa, London, or um, Toledo, Ohio. So that was our that was our our happy mistake for the week.
1: All right, Jim. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you all for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition.
0: Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.